0: Welcome into episode number 117 here on the Huskies Warming House podcast. Noah Grant, that's me, joined alongside with my co-host, that's Nick Maxson. Nick, a giveaway for the fans here, for those watching on the YouTube channel. Uh, It's a pleasure to have all of our listeners here uh, on this Saturday night, moving into Sunday here. Nick, another late recording here on the eve of Game 6 Uh, of the Stanley Cup final and what a Stanley Cup final it has been Nick we're going to break that down of course in the tail end of the main portion of the show we also have some more Hockey Canada news some kind of hot tidbits coming out of this Uh, very interesting Um, So we're definitely going to be rocking and rolling through that as well. Huskies illustrated weekly roundup is going to talk a little bit about some coaching hires that happened around the national hockey league this past week and our extra ice session. We're going to take a mini deep dive, if you will, into the central division where the Minnesota wild sit in the NHL and kind of take a look at what has transpired for some of the teams. And more importantly, what each team is working with as they head into next season without further ado, let's start with center ice view news and notes. Center Ice View news and notes. Center Ice View provides you with the best coverage of St. Cloud State Huskies hockey from game notes, recaps, photos, and more. Go to centericeview.com.
1: few news and notes, Noah, with the Huskies Illustrator Weekly Roundup. And yes, a lot of coaching news. Um, And honestly, some that were not surprising, some that were quite a bit surprising. Um, Let's start with one that uh, maybe is a bit surprising. Let's talk about uh, what what many would have thought would have been the most sought after coach um, in the offseason, apparently isn't going to coach next year, at least for now. Um, We're talking about Barry Trotz. Uh, speaking with the athletic, he said, quote, I've got some things personally that I've got to take care of family wise that I've got to take care of. If I would said I I'd take the job, I think I would have done any team a little bit of a disservice and myself a disservice because to be a coach in the NHL, it is demanding and it requires your all. It just does. Emotionally, it just does. Mentally, it just does. So he couldn't go down that path. It doesn't mean I'm not going to coach, just not coach right now. I've been doing this for 25 straight years, and i put a lot of stuff on the back burner, and I think it's time. The one thing I do know, and it's a mistake that everybody makes, is you think you've had time, and you don't. Um, So, you know, it sounds like a guy who, honestly, Noah, you know, he's right 25 straight years a successful head coach Stanley Cup winner in 2018 with the Washington Capitals a bit of a disappointing tenure last season with the New York Islanders and you kind of get the sense that I'll you know when you kind of go out that way that this is more of just a breather form but maybe does he get a mid-season rejuvenation Uh, it kind of sounds like he's not completely closing the door it sounds like maybe if coaching change happens mid-season maybe he'd be up to it we saw that with Bruce Boudreau after he took a year and some change off to take uh the Vancouver job when that opened up after Travis uh, Green was relieved so I guess what do you make of this news from Barry Trotz are you surprised as a lot of folks were when this came out
0: yeah I mean I think more of a surprise simply because you know he's a hot commodity um you know I think it's different if uh, for example I think a somewhat good comparison is maybe Mike Babcock where his tenure ended in Toronto and kind of he was put in a situation where maybe it was a better thing for him to step away at his particular career juncture right now I think Barry Trotz is definitely someone who would fit seamlessly into a coaching uh, lineup right now. Mike Babcock was in a situation where I think personally he needed to reevaluate the way that he approached the game and the way that he approached other things going on. Barry Trotz I don't think is that guy right now. It just sounds like he's got some family things going on that maybe. Um, you know I don't know I'm I'm assuming he's probably got kids and I'm assuming maybe they're kind of getting to that age or maybe they're doing some things or maybe trying to take care of some stuff at home too so um, it did sound like the Winnipeg Jets were the front runners but uh, yeah they're going to have to do a coaching search 2.0 for uh, Winnipeg so um, yeah I I mean I I don't really know what to make of it other than that uh, I hope whatever he's got to take care of he takes care of and I hope we see him in the NHL soon.
1: And I think to your point too I think he does have kids and you know, when you do for so long and whether it's missed birthdays or missed anniversaries or missed proms, missed homecomings, right. You can kind of those add up in your head, right. Especially as a father. And I think that if that is indeed the case, and again, I'm speculating and I don't have any inside information on this, but it definitely kind of sounds like that's maybe what he's describing either way. Um, sounds like that at least won't be a coach at least when the season opens as of right now, again, We know the National Hockey League, things can change very quickly. And who knows, maybe he does accept a coaching job uh, at a training camp or maybe midseason. We'll have to see. So uh, best of luck to Barry Trotz as he, again, uh, embarks on uh, a bit of a break from hockey and I think probably well deserved. Let's go to another maybe surprising turn of events. Let's go down to uh, the Florida Panthers. Uh, Instead of giving Andrew Burnett uh taking off the interim tag and making him the permanent head coach. Um, you know, we talked about this last week. I had concerns about Andrew Burnett and maybe the playoff performance. I also had concerns about whether the playoff, the Florida Panthers win win now moment. It kind of seems like they had some concerns too, because they're bringing in the old jets coach, Paul Maurice uh, as their next head coach. Uh, how about this guy? Right. Um, Fourth all time in in games coach at 1684, seventh in wins all time 775. um, After he essentially stepped down as head coach from the Jets midway through the season, just said effectively that kind of felt like it was his time to step away, that he'd been there for a while. And I guess, what do you make of the Florida Panthers um, not giving Andrew Burnett the job and bringing in Paul Maurice?
0: Yeah, kind of weird that you have a Jack Adams award finalist that uh, doesn't end up getting the job. Uh, It sounds like the Panthers are going to probably try to give him a significant, uh, you know, uh, role within the team. Andrew Burnett and try to give him a good offer to see if he'll stay within the team. But that would be kind of a weird dynamic to go from interim coach to being the assistant coach under somebody else. You know, I think a lot of the guys, uh, you know, for better or worse, did like playing underneath him. Um, so you wonder if that maybe moves into more of a managerial role, though. I don't feel like Andrew Brunette is really, I just, I see him more as a day-to-day guy within the play with the players. I don't see him in a, in a press box in a front office, that sort of thing. But, uh, you know, it's a good hire. And one of the things that Florida, um, their biggest challenge is that with Andrew Brunette and with the Florida Panthers recent success, a place they really, uh, let's be frank, have not been since 1996. Um, You know, they needed a steady hand to kind of guide them, I think. That was the plan when Joel Quinville came in. We all know how that ended. Um, And Andrew Burnett, of course, is a seasoned veteran, but not at the head coaching uh, level of things. And Paul Maurice does provide that steady hand. The question is, can he take a roster that has some budding stars and some uh, you know, budding players that maybe weren't expected to be as big of contributors as they ended up becoming last year, if he can rekindle that fire and see if they can go on another run. But uh, a little bit of a surprise. um, But when you think about it a little bit deeper, I think it makes sense.
1: And you kind of wonder, too, if if Florida really is looking at uh, a playoff window that they don't see maybe open for very long. Um, Mm -hmm. Again, with the cap constraints, again, they've got some of you mentioned those budding young stars are going to be due for some pay raises. You wonder if they're trying to strike while the iron's hot. Um, You know, and I kind of agree with your assessment of Brunette. Mind you, I've I've interviewed Brunette. I've I've talked to him personally. Um, Great, dude. Uh, fantastic human being, keeps it pretty light, keeps it pretty relaxed. Um, and again, I guess my question would be how much do the Florida Panthers management think whether it was Andrew Burnett, the coach, or whether he was just simply keeping the systems and the coaching structure of Joel Quenville you almost wonder if that played a part in their decision as well um tough for Andrew Burnett either way uh, no question I hope he ends up with a role somewhere uh on some team I definitely think he deserves to be in an NHL spot the question is with whom and with what title will be um so maybe not surprising news when you consider the coach but maybe uh, a little bit of a surprise in terms of where uh, Pete DeBoer, who just always seems to find uh, suitors at uh, his door whenever they need a head coach, goes to <laughs> Dallas. Um, L- suitors literally and figuratively in this case. I know, really, right? So You <laughs> like what I did there. A uh, four-year deal for him. And- $4.25 million for Pete DeVore, so a pretty healthy contract, $9 million total. Um, 513, 379 to 123 record in his over 1,000 games coached over 14 NHL seasons. Again, spent time with New Jersey, then San Jose, then Vegas, and now with Dallas. Uh, 68 and 55 postseason mark. Um, started his coaching career with, well, how about that, the Florida Panthers in 2008. Um funny. I listened to the press conference and the first thing you said was, well, Dallas needs to score more. Well, no kidding, Pete. They were one of the least scoring teams in the <laughs> National Hockey League. And I think, obviously, uh, Noah, we have talked about the Dallas Stars a little bit uh, in terms of maybe this is their biggest area that they have to improve on, especially with the likes of Jimmy Ben and Tyler Sagan not really living up to those big contracts. Uh, and Pete DeBoer, I guess there's one good thing that Dallas Stars fans could take is he gets immediate results. The question is, is he the one with the immediate results? Can he get that into the deep postseason, which he's only been really at once with San Jose back, was at 17 with Pittsburgh?
0: Yeah. Yeah. Well, you know it's funny, Nick. I, you know, some would say the Dallas Stars needed to score more last year, but I would argue that the Vegas Golden Knights needed to win more last year, Um, Uh,
1: especially down the stretch. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Playoffs, huh? Uh, Correction. I he is four point two five million annually, so over the course of four years, seventeen million dollars for him over the life of that contract. So, um, holy
1: cow, did I do my math wrong? Holy. Yeah. um, It's it's one of those
0: it's one of those nights, and the question is, did Dallas do their math wrong or not? We've heard rumblings about Pete DeBoer and kind of the way that he's handled some media things and some internal things uh, within the locker room. Thanks
1: to Alan Walsh. Yeah,
0: you know, <laughs> and... Uh, you wonder if that carries over and and it's kind of interesting. Some of these teams seem to have similar veins in which their storylines go where, you know, you think about Dallas and kind of the head coaching soiree that they've had, and they've had a couple of head coaches who have gotten into some things or had some weird tenures there too. You know, Pete DeBoer maybe kind of fits that mold of another coach that might be added to that list unless he can find a way to turn things around. Um, And when I say turn things around, I mean, he hasn't been a bad coach by any means, but I believe it's, Ben, I, does he have a Stanley Cup? I don't even think he does. No, I, he
1: does not. He's got two appearances with San Jose and also with New, New Jersey. Jersey. Yeah, back in uh, But not a Cup ring, at least that I know of as head coach.
0: Yes, sure. yeah. So, you know, interesting uh, to see what Dallas does. But um, Dallas, their first stepping stone has been laid here. Um, the foundation is there. The question is, is it going to be a concrete tower or a rickety shack? We'll have to
1: find out. And uh, again, no assistant staff as of yet because uh, mm-hmm. with Rick Bonus, the entire assistant core—that was what uh, Scott Stevens, uh, who else am I thinking of? Who was there? I have bigger names. Anyways, uh, a couple more coaching spots to fill, again, with Dallas. Yeah. So not quite done uh, there. This is an interesting one. Uh, Chicago Montreal assistant coach Luke Richardson will be the next Blackhawks head coach. Um, 53 years old, uh, playing career, spending over 1,400 games, uh, six different teams, 201 career points. Um, also promoted Megan Hunter to assistant general manager, uh, making her the third women to currently hold that position in NHL history. Um, Hunter was a star at Wisconsin from 2000 to 2004. I've heard that their program is okay. Um, mm-hmm. For the Patty Kazmaier uh, Memorial Award, is the top collegiate player in the country in 2001. Um, Carolyn Pilch, I believe is the name, was also promoted to director of player personnel um, and a couple of other things. Former NHL players that will stay the course. Mark Eaton will remain as assistant GM of development and also Soupy, Brian Campbell, would keep his role as hockey operations advisor. Um, so a lot of Positives about uh, this coaching hire with Chicago, again, a guy that has apparently been probably more deserving of a head coaching spot a long time ago is finally getting his shot. Um, What do you make of the move here by Chicago here, Noah?
0: You know, uh, actually, the first thing that I thought of when I was going through the notes, I mean, 201 points. Yes, he was a defenseman. Pretty impressive. 1,417 games for him. That's, that's, that's an impressive career. And, yeah. you know, like when you think of Luke Richardson, it's not a name that sticks in your head as like, oh, you know, prominent NHL guy. I mean, he wasn't exactly, you know, a standout player on any of the teams he played for, but carved out a pretty darn nice career for himself. That's a lot of longevity. Um, yeah. so we'll have to see if his tenure stays the same way as a head coach, um, with Chicago. But yeah, i done a fantastic job in Montreal. He's been there since 2018, obviously had some AHL gigs and kind of bounced around there too. But this is going to be his first kick at the can, however, um. You wonder with the way that Chicago's roster is currently structured. um, The question is, where is their roster? Um, And and beyond that, uh, you know, where's it going? You know, Jeremy Colleton and and his tenure being the youngest coach at 33. uh, You wonder if Luke Richardson falls into the same trap. You hope that he doesn't. You hope that Chicago turns it around. But again, it's a situation that is potentially right for a head coach to turn things around, but it's potentially right for yet another uh, dumpster fire that has been the theme as of late in Chicago. I think he's going to do a great job. I think he's a great hire, especially, um, you know, he's been underneath a couple of different coaches in Montreal in the, in the Mecca of hockey essentially, and got, gotten to learn a lot there um, and obviously has that playing experience like we just talked about. So I think he's going to do okay, but uh, he's definitely, uh, he's definitely jumping on a ship that is half singing and looking for some patchwork, I think.
1: Uh, looking for, more than just patchwork looking for a place to get the hell off the ship. Um, at least in my opinion. Well, in, in to your point, no, I think, you know, you, you talk about a trap, right? You almost wonder because there's no question that at least from the NHL circles that have been, you know, talking about him and his experience. Again, as I mentioned before, it seems like he's had his name out there from a lot of the media that's out there that covers, uh, that's covered his career. It's like, why hasn't this guy already been a head coach? And you kind of wonder, Chicago, is this the head coach that's going to maximize what's left effectively of Patrick Kane, Jonathan Taves? Will Alex Debrinkett be there? There's big question marks surrounding the youth of this organization. And is he, meaning the head coach, is he essentially trying to squeeze every bit of life out of this franchise before, um, say, the bombs get dropped? You know, you kind of hope that's not the case for the coach. Um, A lot of... Things uncertain in Chicago for sure, especially on the roster front. And um, again, some answers may be coming sooner than we think. Uh, maybe so much not. Again, we talked about this a little bit in depth uh, in last week's show, but you do hope that, um, again, Luke Richardson does a great job. I think he will. Uh, let's go to some not surprising moves Other the Oilers uh, do officially ink Jay Woodcroft, uh, who was the interim head coach to a three year extension. No surprise. There was the best record after he took over in February. So congratulations, John Woodcroft. Uh, he will do just fine. Excuse me. Jay Woodcroft. Uh, also not surprising. Patrice Bergeron expected to sign at least a one year deal returning to Boston. Um Question is think how much there's some cap issues in Boston. So that's going to be the big factor there. Uh, coveted free agent forward. Andre Kuzmenko is going to sign with the Vancouver Canucks uh, 26 years old. How about this? Um, he can only sign a one year entry level deal, a maximum of a 925,000 again, because of his age, right? So again, entry level deals, a lot of it is based on your age and what you can earn. Um, how about this? Uh, when you finished second in the league's points race with 20 goals, 33 assists and 45 games in the KHL, um, 14 points in 16 playoff games for SKA Saint Petersburg, and uh, no, I think that's a maybe a question we have to answer. Maybe the next couple shows what the heck's going to happen with the KHL uh, next season if things are still continuing over um, across international borders. But uh, how about this Vancouver continuing stockpile now that uh, Jim Benning is out of the realm and uh, Travis Green no longer there? There's some promising signs. Vancouver made a late push. Con- unfortunately make it work out to get into the playoff push. But uh, again, just some little tidbits there for you.
0: Yeah, a uh, couple of question marks, I think, with JT Miller and Brock Besser moving into the offseason for the Canucks, obviously, So, um, but they do have a young, stud in Quinn Hughes. He's got uh, one of the tidbits that will be a part of uh, another piece that we're going to talk about in just a few moments here. Uh, notwithstanding, the NHL did unveil its first and second team All-Stars for the season, as well as the All-Rookie squad. Uh, the first team All-Stars, Johnny Goudreau, Austin Matthews, Mitch Marner, Kale McCarr, Roman Yossi, and Igor Shosturkin, rounding out uh, the grouping of six for the first team all well deserving i would say that there was no name that was left out of there that you know should have been in there all of them but fantastic seasons for them second team jonathan hubert Connor mcdavid as a second team all-star you love to see I'll it better. yeah and matthew kachuk victor Hedman, charlie mcavoy who i thought had a had a quietly productive season uh and jacob markstrom uh, of the flames in that group and then the all rookie team um jeez couple of really good players that I think yeah. are going to continue to help their teams for a long time. Michael Bunting of the Maple Leafs, yep. Lucas Raymond, who had a great awesome. uh, season with the Red Wings, as well as more at Sider, um, Trevor Zegras as well. Those three names are going to come into play very quickly here. Uh, Alexander Carrier, uh, good little yeah. season for him, by the way, yes, uh, play, playing for Nashville. And then Jeremy Swayman of the Bruins, who I think, uh, you know, maybe could have gotten more time had uh, – had things transpired out uh, even more appropriately, but uh, made the most of the season he had. So um, uh, very deserving, I think, all of them. Uh, NHL award news, uh, somebody very deserving of an award. Uh, How about two of them? Austin Matthews winning both the Hart and Ted Lindsay Award as the NHL's most valuable player, voted on by both the media and his peers. So the media votes on the Hart, and the peers vote on the Ted Lindsay Award, beating uh, Connor McDavid and Igor Shosturkin for this award, Nick. Um, Yes, you know, the argument always kind of goes through because we talk about the Hart Trophy as the MVP of the league. Now, the MVP of the league is not necessarily what people would define as the best player. I think a lot of people would look and say maybe Connor McDavid is the best player uh, right. just by his point production. But, you know, why is Austin Matthews the pick here in Toronto? And if you look at Maple Leafs history, Toronto does not have a history of a lot
1: of award winners up at this level. No, in fact, you know, there's talk that is Austin Matthews the best Maple Leaf of all time? even go yeah. that way so heart trophy uh hearts of the team right that's really where yeah. this mbb of their franchise and more so if this player is not on their roster are they the same team i think that's a better way to look at it uh, no the maple leafs are not even close to the same team if austin matthews is not in that lineup uh over you know 60 goals season um again just We saw it when his four-goal performance against the Ottawa Senators in his rookie debut, Um, just an incredible lightning-quick release. Um, Big body's been getting better defensively, Um, can skate well, can read, play in the power play, you you name it. He's just an all-around great player, um, deserving of that award. And, uh, again, when the media and the players agree on something, that's something that doesn't really happen all the time. Especially if it's Toronto-related, let's be real. That never, ever
0: happens. Yeah, well, one of your kids – one of your picks um, and the actual award winner actually agreed on something too. Congratulations. Igor Shostorkin did edge out Jacob Markstrom mm-hmm. and UC Saros for the Vesna as the NHL's top goaltender. Um, Kale McCarr beating Roman Yossi and Victor Hedman for his first ever Norris Trophy. He was actually in attendance for the NHL awards and then played in the Stanley Cup final uh, that, huh? the next night. Game number four, 86-point season at age 23. That's nice. uh, That's all right, isn't it? <laughs> I would say.
1: Well, let's go back to uh, Luke Richardson, 203 career points and Caleb McCarr almost halved it in one season.
0: So, all right.
1: Yeah, that's nuts.
0: Let's talk about some more points here. This is where Quinn Hughes and Kale McCarr come into this list. Um, They are joined by defenseman Moritz Seider becoming just the third rookie defenseman to reach 50 points in the salary cap era. And he took home the Calder trophy as rookie of the year, beating Trevor Zegras and Michael Bunting well-deserved. I mean, he was just on another level. He led the Detroit Red Wings in ice time as a 21-year-old.
1: Like, (laughs) incredible. Points, yes. But I think, again, there's there's a lot to love about his defensive uh, style of the game too. He's he's there's a lot of comparisons being made too in Detroit land about uh, maybe a number five, five? Guy. Uh, uh Nick Lidstrom. maybe. He does uh, actually. Big shoes sk- to fill. Big shoes to fill. Uh, you know, not the biggest offensive threat, but smooth skater and more so just perfect defensive positioning can really make it really tough to get around him. He forces you into bad areas of the ice, um, stays with a never really off his track. He's a great, phenomenal young defenseman in Detroit. Starting with Stevie Wise handprints to build something a little bit, and now with uh, a head coach soon to be filled, right? You don't have a head coach just yet.
0: Yeah. Well, hopefully, uh, they hopefully get an answer soon. to that question soon. Um, a, lot of, a lot of salary cap space for them, too. So. Yes,
1: a lot of moves they can make, and a uh, big offseason for them as well. After a bit of a, dis- you know, still disappointing, I think, by Detroit Sanders and that they wanted to be better, but uh, definitely some some room to work with, that's for sure.
0: Yeah, curious to see where Trevor Zegras's Anaheim Ducks carry on this offseason as oh, well. Yeah. And then if Michael Bunting, who has essentially found money right now for the Toronto Maple Leafs, going to see uh, if he can continue his success in his sophomore season. Lastly, in awards, one that won't be announced for a while, Tampa's Julian Breeswad, New York's Chris Drury, and Colorado's Joe Sakic are the finalists for the Jim Gregory General Manager of the Year Award. Uh, the winner will be announced at the 2022 NHL Draft in Montreal, so we'll keep you updated on that one. Finally, injury news. Not last topic here. New York's Chris Kreider, uh, he underwent successful wrist surgery yesterday. Andre Burakovsky and Brayden Point are game time decisions for Game Six tomorrow night slash today, depending on when you're listening, for Colorado and Tampa respectively. And Joel Farabee of the Philadelphia Flyers is out three to four months after disc replacement surgery. He had 17 mm. goals and
1: 17 assists in 63 games this past season. Disc replacement, the same surgery that kept Jack Eichel out of Buffalo. Uh, i think so yeah. is it's if it's if it's a herniated disc remember the 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 main surgery for that was fusion disc replacement surgery yeah. was what was what jack eichel wanted that's that newer surgery pretty yeah. single sure one
0: you know what uh, you know i think philadelphia needs a lot more help than just a fusion
1: <laughs> uh, they, need, they, they need to uh, unfuse themselves with a certain general manager but that's just me
0: yeah, hopefully it goes well. But, yeah, 63 points in uh, – or, yeah, um, 34 points in 63 games, not a bad season for Joel Faraby, and we wish him the best of luck in his recovery. And welcome into episode number 117. Noah Grant alongside Nick Max and Nick hitting the main portion of the show here. Um, We do have some scheduling pieces, a little bit of a change here. Um, We are going to have the answer to who our Stanley Cup champion is going to be by the time of our next show, but it's going to come a lot sooner than you think. Yes, and, and I'm not talking about the winner. I'm talking about our actual show. We're going to be recording on Thursday night. um. So episode is going to come out on Friday. That's because some scheduling pieces for Nick and I as well. So um, we'll keep you updated on that. But that uh, should be a fun jam-packed show. And we'll have a Stanley Cup champion for that one as well. Uh, before we get into some Hockey Canada news, Nick, also, I'd be remiss if I didn't mention that the Huskies Warming House podcast, uh, I would say 80% got something right. Um, former St. Cloud State Huskies defenseman Clark Cusker was named uh the Huskies Director of Operations and Video Coordinator. Um, why are you pointing at yourself? I brought it up. Review the tape, bro. I did review the tape and I brought it up. <laughs> I don't think so. I brought it up. Yes, I did. No, I don't think so. <laughs> I am 110% positive that I brought it up because I went back and listened to it yesterday.
1: Previously on NCIS.
0: I'm curious to see if you have a name in mind. I've got a weird one. It's the only one I've got. And you're gonna look at me and you're probably gonna say, what are you talking about? Because usually you don't just randomly get coaching gigs at the division one level out of nowhere. Right? No, you don't. The body that I'm gonna throw out here, Clark Custer. I think it makes sense. Clark Custer. I find your lack of faith disturbing. Um, but nonetheless, uh, yes, we did select, (laughs) We did select that Clark Huster, um, uh, was going to be an assistant coach for the St. Cloud State Huskies. In fact, I do want to provide our listeners, um, with the actual episode that it will be. Um, if you want to go back and take a look, um, let me see if I can find it for whatever reason I can't find, I believe it's episode 114 as I believe where it is, but, um, yeah. Uh, nonetheless, uh, yes, Clark Custer, uh, former St. Cloud State Huskies defenseman, was, his last year was actually the year that Nick and I were both there together, 2019-20, that season that actually never um, completed. Uh, Nick, what is St. Cloud getting in Clark Custer as the director of operations and a video coordinator?
1: A director of operations and a video coordinator. No, kidding. <laughs> uh, They're getting uh, a former captain, assistant captain. Uh, They're getting a a guy that is, well, as we had known, was not really looking at, at least from what we had known, as professional hockey or a coaching thing. At least that wasn't on our radar where we knew him back in 1920. Um, And then all of a sudden he was assistant coach with the St. Cloud Norseman directing them. And his name kind of became curiously popped up and it sort of made sense. And, uh, when it was, uh, Nick Oliver's departure, uh, became, a, uh, became public and it was very quickly, uh, decided that RJ Enga, who was the, uh, last year's video coordinator and director of operations moved to assistant coach, um, kind of an easier transition, you could say, um, mm-hmm. to a still a newer coach to be, uh, up in the booth with video coaching, um, you know, seeing the game with a bit of a bird's eye view. And then again, um, Know, the operation side of things too so um no stranger to the herbrooks national hockey center no stranger to maybe some of the players on this squad uh no stranger to uh, the city of st cloud and the huskies organization so it, the fit seems right and uh you know again uh this this upcoming season is going to be uh it's gonna have some question marks Noah, to say the least uh, a lot of new faces coming in and uh you kind of hope that with Nick Oliver's departure, too, I mean, one thing that Nick Oliver was so good at was connecting with the younger players. Because, you know, again, not far removed, uh, Nick Oliver playing with the squad in 2013, um, he has bigger ambitions and going to the Fargo Force. So I think with Clark there, you have that younger coach that you can approach, that you can maybe confide in, that you can, you know, really develop a, a close relationship with. Um, and he can also be sort of that liaison between him and the assistant fan head coaches, uh, Brett Larson, Dave Shyack, and again, RJ Ango respectively. So um, it's a good fit for, I think, both sides of the, of the pie and uh, hope to see uh, how the Huskies can uh, turn that into success for the 22-23 season.
0: Yeah, jumping over from the NHL and the St. Cloud Norseman, he'll join the squad there. Makes sense. I think to have him in that role, considering that he did play with some of the players that he'll be now coaching. So that would be kind of an interesting fit uh, to have some, to have somebody over you. That was once your teammate, Um, thinking of guys like Spencer Meyer, things like that. And RJ Enga is in that assistant coaching role as well, like you mentioned. So we'll have to see, but best of luck and congratulations to Clark Custer and RJ for their new roles. Uh, and best of luck to the Huskies hockey team moving this upcoming season. For those who wanted to check it out, uh, I did do some digging. It was episode number 110, uh, promptly named, Is Clark Custer the Answer? Apparently, yes, uh, for St. Cloud. So um, definitely go back and check that out in the Extra Ice session. Um, More news out of Hockey Canada here. Um, uh, Executives beginning to testify in court this past week, Nick, and we had a lot of highlights actually coming from this here so um you know outgoing and i didn't know that he was outgoing but uh hockey ceo hockey canada ceo excuse me tom rennie said that no public funds were used to settle the lawsuit according to cbc's richard raycroft the governing body instead liquidated a portion of investments to cover the cost per tsn's rick westhead so um and rennie also did add that hockey canada became aware of the alleged incident the day after it occurred which whoa yeah um the organization recommended players participate in the investigation but they didn't mandate it Uh, there's problem number one um president of hockey canada scott smith said 12 to 13 players did cooperate in the investigation which is 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 some good news should have been all of them but 13 is a is a good in other words the ones
1: that didn't do it
0: yeah correct um and he also added that hockey Canada is probably behind when it comes to proper education initiatives for players. Duh, you think, uh, and also said the organization has dealt with one or two allegations of sexual assault per year over the past five or six years and added that their code of conduct did not cover off ice behavior, but has since been revised since the time of the incident. So Nick, let's start with those tidbits first. Um, first of sure. all, what does it mean to liquidate a portion of investments? And number two, I, uh, what do you make of them knowing of this incident immediately after?
1: So a couple of things, right? Now, because there's some missing pieces. First of all, liquid, it means you're cashing out stock. You're cashing out something uh, that's non-liquid. So you're not going to a check in your savings and doing a withdrawal. No, you're going, crap, I've got some GM stock and I want to cash this out because I need money because reasons, right? Uh, two, what they failed to address here, no, is what was done after they learned about it. Um, I think that's the big missing piece for me, at least is when I listen to this is, so it sounds like the right folks were aware of it, but then what happened after that? What, what steps were taken? Was there a delay in anything? Was mm-hmm. there, you know, again, we're, we're still, from what I understand, there's still, I think more testimony to come on this. Yeah. And if I, and if there's any question that I'm wondering is, okay, so you found it afterwards. So then what did you do about it? And how quickly did you do those set actions? Uh, I think that's the next piece that I'm, I'm yeah. wanting to know, because again, we, this goes back to Chicago, right? First of all, it was, we didn't know. And then we found out, no, they absolutely did know um, very soon after the fact. And then it was, we did nothing for a while. And then that created other problems. So you kind of wonder if, Hockey Canada is in a similar boat, whereas what was the timing between them finding out about it and then what do they do about it when and was the action enough? And I yeah. think that's going to be the next step.
0: Like you mentioned, you know, 12 to 13 players, I'm guessing, you know, you have 22 players on that team. The one that would be missing would be Victor Mete because he was in Cancun at the time. So I'm assuming that he didn't participate in the investigation because he wasn't there. Sure. Um, uh, and then uh, that's going to leave the eight remaining plus the rest that would be participating in there, so that that's a nice round number of twenty-two. If you want to do the math there, um, you know Rennie also, <laughs> Rennie also stated that Hockey Canada didn't do a good enough job supervising its players at the event in question, and he said, "quote The line was blurred there, and we fell short." Now, a couple things that I wanted this quote, I pulled it out because I think it has more significance than than an afterthought. First of all, it does. Um, Hockey Canada shouldn't have to supervise its players at the event. The precedent should already be set that the player should know not to do something like this. The second piece of this, as we talked about how, you know, being aware of the alleged incident the day after it occurred, while the initial report from Rick Westhead and TSN had talked about, um, you know, in the lawsuit that the particular victim, this female felt pressured and was pressured by these players to not say anything, not participate in a police investigation, not, you know, Talk about it to anybody in this sort of thing. Now, is that in conjunction with Hockey Canada? We can't we can't prove that either way. But it go it goes back to the piece of even if Hockey Canada didn't have a part in this, they didn't, you know, because they they had to have known they had to have known the eight players that they probably had an idea because of the rest of the players that were testifying and maybe the players that didn't show up. Not for certain, but they probably had a good general idea. And I'm going to assume that those eight players heard about it from other players or Hockey Canada or whatever it was. And then they took that information and pressured this victim who they'd already done horrible things to into not going further with this. And that's the scary thing is what regardless of whether or not Hockey Canada had a piece in the eight players telling her these things, they've set a precedent as an organization for them to feel comfortable not only committing horrendous acts, but then trying to cover them up both individually or potentially as an organization that's the part that's scaring and you're giving you're giving me this sideways uh, spurt let me tell you this nick
1: i'm not sure if it's that direct of a correlation and here's why i say that because it's possible hockey canada knows hockey canada then figures out from the victim that hockey canada says yeah we need we want to talk to this victim the eight alleged players figure find out hockey canada wants to talk about it and it's more so the players understand that if it gets confirmed and there is real testimony, real eyewitness accounts of this, they can't hide behind that. That that indicts them almost, you know, purposefully. So I, I, I understand your, your viewpoint. I just don't know if it's that direct. I'm not sure if we really can say that Hockey Canada was the one pressuring the woman or the no, victims. That's, that's no,
0: that's not what I'm saying. I'm saying Hockey Canada set the precedent years earlier as an organization so that these players felt not only comfortable but confident enough to go to this victim of their own accord and pressure her okay. into into not participating. That's what I'm trying to say. Sure. Is that they is that they failed as an organization for
1: the last two decades that culminated into okay. into this moment. So sure. Now and, and that's and here's where I, I think to to the quote, right? Which is we I'm with you. It's ridiculous to me that you feel like for these players who are on the grand, the grand stage and, and the junior ranks for the world, honestly, not just Canada, that you feel like you have to manage them in that sense. That to me was almost like either like an old GM or like a, a, almost like a head coach, just trying to protect his own players. That's kind of what it gave off a stench like that to me. I, I wasn't a fan of that part of that comment. Yeah. Um, the other part of it is too. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. You failed, but, but okay. But what have you done to address that? Yeah. I have not done anything because if you, if you've, if you learn from it and we're just finding out about this and you can say, Hey, we, yeah, we understand we there, we found an area that we were lacking in. So therefore we changed it. I'm sorry, but changing, you know the on ice conduct to oh this includes off ice that's not enough that's yeah. not enough like again we, we talk about the culture issue that is at hockey and you know this gets tied into that and while I think you and I have agreed on this uh, quite a few times though, that we believe there has to be i think required training in this sort of thing where it's not just, Telling people, hey, if you're off the ice, you're still representing Hockey Canada, don't be an idiot. It has to go into let's actually talk about this specific issue and the ways that you can not do this and, you know, not be an idiot. So, uh, yeah,
0: you know, a couple of moves uh, by government organizations that maybe might move this in the right direction for future things. First of all, of course, uh, as expected, Prime Minister Justin Trudeau commented saying, as a government, we have continually stood up to push back against sexual misconduct and harassment in organizations and workplaces across the country. Hockey Canada is no different. This behavior is unacceptable, and quote, pretty standard, fair uh, quotation, but it is important, I think, that he did comment on it at least. Um, in addition, okay. the federal government is freezing Hockey Canada's funding and Until the organization signs up with a federal agency that can independently investigate abuse complaints and issue sanctions so um Uh, we
1: talked about that yeah too yeah
0: pascal state owns added they must become a signatory to the universal code of conduct to prevent and address maltreatment in sport to begin receiving those public funds again and this would give the office of the sport integrity commissioner control over these abuse investigations so from what i understand uh hockey canada did receive 14 or is set to receive 14 million dollar from the federal government in 2020 and 2021 and recently applied for 2.2 million dollars to help recover from covid 19. um saint Owen said uh hockey canada will not receive the money until the outline conditions are met so good on them for kind of putting hockey canada in a position where they they're going to have to put up or shut up so to speak and uh um you know and i, and I think that it is important. Uh, in some senses, obviously, for the government to jump in and handle uh, the abused investigations. Now, the only thing that you wonder is, you know, does the corruption scale go up the ladder on the other side of the government? I have no answer to that because I know nothing about Canadian government. But from what it seems like on the surface, it seems like it's a step in the right direction.
1: That's what it seems. Right. But again, you know, does this happen again? Hopefully, again, it never does unfortunately it's likely to happen again that's the sad part and you kind of wonder too does you know now that these new conditions are there does the canadian government hold their into the bargain which is um this supposed independent investigative group did they actually go forth and do what they're supposed to be doing and you know and, and that's the other thing too is like so they don't outline you know does does that mean that If miners are involved, that they make names public? Does that mean that they're not able to sign a non disclosure agreement? Does that mean that, you know, if these things, is there, you know, a required report that goes to the government and that gets publicly released? Again, details are the devils of these sort of things, and there's yet a lot of those that we don't Mm -hmm. know quite yet.
0: You also wonder, too, my final thought was that how uh, President of Hockey Canada, Scott Smith, had stated that the organization has dealt with one or two allegations of sexual assault per year over the past five or six years. I don't read into that heavily because hockey Canada is a huge organization and I wouldn't be shocked if there are things that come out every year. My question is I wonder how hockey Canada has previously handled some of these things. And you wonder if they've done it appropriately and if they haven't, what more needs to change at the youth level or at the lower level, because obviously this is a big name story that's getting a lot of coverage, but what about those people right. that have gone through this process before? So we'll definitely keep an eye on it for sure, Nick. Um, you know, and, uh, it's not a fun topic to talk about, uh, at yeah. all. So, yeah. um, Let's talk about some fun, shall we? Moving forward, Stanley Cup Final uh, has become interesting again here. Uh, show coming out on Perhaps Sunday for for Tampa fans. Yeah, well, for yeah, I suppose they're probably pretty stressed. Uh, maybe the Minnesota Wild I could get to that point one day. Um, we'll see. Ha. Uh, Yeah, but uh, when the show comes out on Sunday, that is uh, the eve of game number six. Uh, Of course, seven o'clock central time uh, in the evening. And should a game seven be needed, it will be Tuesday night, same time at seven o'clock as well. So it's going to be decided this week before our next show, Nick. Um, You know, Tampa Bay uh, claws back, uh, makes it a two to one series. And then uh, Colorado getting a goal. We'll talk about that goal in game four. Uh, a little bit later here, but then Tampa Bay responding in game number five to cling on and head uh, back to Amalie Arena for game number six um, in Tampa Bay. Um, Nick, who should really be feeling the pressure here? Should the Avs still feel good that they outshot and outchanced uh, Tampa, and it came down to one bounce in game five, or is momentum slowly swinging the other direction?
1: So, if this is game three, different story. This is now game six, and I think if you're Colorado you wanted to secure it on home ice. You wanted to get it done as soon as you possibly can, because as you know, in hockey, nothing is guaranteed in the next hockey game. Um, the good news is you are able to, you know, you took one in Tampa. So you're, you know, you can win there. The question is now, does it become in their own heads? Because it's almost, can you look at it as like you said, well, we all chance them. We outskate them. They have a brick wall net named Andre Vasilevsky and it, came down to a bounce, Um, actually a terribly blown coverage by Colorado's D um, over committing on the puck to leave Andre Collat wide open in the slot, but that's just me and my dumb hockey takes. Thank you very much. Um, That's my TED talk for the evening. But, no, moving on. Um, It's a one-goal hockey game, but you almost feel like, from the player's perspective, does a little frustration. There's a little nerves kicking because now you're going on the road and now maybe there's more – self-induced pressure to get it done because I tell you what game sevens back at home ice. I mean, you, there's no laurels in, in this game. It's the hardest trophy to win in sports for a reason. And again, you don't want to give Tampa life. Tampa's got some life. Now they go back home. Uh, they've been ever, you know, against, before game four, they had won eight straight on home ice in the playoffs. So they're very successful there in front of their own fans. Um, again, the key for Tampa is that they can get on the board first. That seems to be their, their saving grace against the Colorado Avalanche. Um, so we'll see. I do think right now the pressure's on the abs. And I, I, you worry if you're an abs fan, if the players don't start putting more pressure on themselves Do they try to get in, in. I'll say this. I almost saw that with Nate McKinnon last uh, game. I think there were plenty of opportunities where I thought he would have shot the puck, um, especially on a power play and a rush situation. He ended up trying to pass the puck, so you almost wonder, do they get in their own heads? I don't know. Do you agree with me on this, or am I just an old guy with the head had a hat backwards and I can't think straight? Yeah.
0: Know. Well, Game Five, uh, that Jan Ruder goal can't can't go in. I think no, you know Colorado had either. had all the momentum until that particular juncture of the hockey game, and um, you know the challenge here, I think, uh, and. I wonder Colorado has not lost much in this postseason, and they've seemed to bounce back well when they have lost. So I think game six, you'd like to get it done. Um, The other thing that I was thinking about, because it's actually, since the salary cap era has begun, it's very rare that teams actually win a Stanley Cup at home. And I wonder Mm -hmm. that maybe some of the extracurriculars go out when you're on the road, maybe it might actually be a little bit easier for Colorado to get the job done in Tampa, because you don't have the extra piece of trying to win it in front of your home fans. You don't have the extra energy, which obviously can motivate you as a player, but you know that in the Stanley cup final, when you go into the other team's building, it's going to be a hostile environment anyway. And sometimes that fuels you. And sometimes teams play better on the road too. And uh, this Colorado team has been very good on the road too this postseason, obviously as well. So, um, you know like you mentioned you want to get it done in game 6 i think colorado will bounce back the question is tampa really didn't get a bounce through the first four games of the series even though they won game 3 now they're starting to get one or two of those now is colorado going to continue to get those bounces or will tampa maybe find one in a game you know tampa has largely been outplayed for the majority of this series and it's been a while yeah. this has been the toughest team in all of the three cup runs um since the loss to Columbus in 2019, this is the toughest team that Tampa has faced out of any, out of any series. Um, And they've uh, come close to meeting their maker a couple of times here. And uh, the question mark is, can Tampa find a game? um, You know, I think if the Avs go into game six and even if they lose game six, but it's a one goal contest, they're dominating again, you know, at what point does Tampa's luck run out? You know, playing that style and playing from behind and kind of chasing the game and being opportunistic. But if Tampa has a very decisive Game 6 win, all bets are off for Game 7. I mean, anything can happen in a one-game shot to begin with. But then if you have Tampa feeling that energy and then Colorado still being the beast that it is, who would, who would eventually go on to lose two games in a row for the first time all postseason and for the first time in almost two months – it'd be a wild, wild finish on Tuesday night. So uh, it should be an interesting one, Nick, you know, as we kind of head down the stretch, I, I, I don't know <laughs> I, that, that I am still, I'm still pulling for the abs. I think they're going to get it done.
1: Um, but Tampa just seems to never go away. No. And if you're Tampa, this is exactly what you're maybe the game plan you're hoping for is you, you just kind of stick around long enough where maybe you start to maybe get into the heads of the Colorado avalanche. Um, you might see that game six. Uh, again, game five, Cotto was the better team. And again, it was one defensive error yeah. that leaves Palat with six minutes to go and a wide open uh, slot shot right on Darcy Kemper. And again, going back to Kemper, and all he's received a lot of flack. That goal, uh, the opening goal again, no screen, no stick deflection. He just plain missed it. Um, yikes. Um, yeah. If you, you kind of wonder too, when you're a player and you've, and, and let's, let's give Darcy Kemper credit, he's gotten them to the Stanley Cup final. Not a single other goaltender they've had previously, Philip Grubauer or uh, Semyon Varlamov had gotten them there. Um, so he's a big reason why they're there. But you've got to wonder, too, if you're Nathan McKinnon, Cal McCarr, Gabriel Landis, Skog, and you're watching an easy goal like that go in, does that also get in your head, too? Does that change the way you play? Um, Does that mean you're a little bit more aggressive on your own defensive blue line? Do you start maybe cheating a little bit um, to try to make sure he can see the puck? I don't know. Um, It's a, it's an interesting time. And and this is what I love about the Stanley cup final is Colorado coming in as the happy favorite. And yet Tampa, the back-to-back Stanley cup winner, um, great playoff success for the course of less, what, six, seven years. Um, They, again, just find ways To keep themselves in it and this is a series and and we talked about
0: you know winning games on the road you know all the pressure is off of tampa right now they have they they have nothing to lose and they understand that if they want to win a stanley cup they'd have to win it on the road tampa yep. would have to win it on the road so um yeah it's going to be interesting you know they've been there and done that before and in patrick mm-hmm. maroon's case he's done it three times before tampa would become the first team to three pete since uh the mid 80s with the new york islanders dynasty and colorado
1: yep. yeah
0: colorado it would be their first cup since 2001 so it should be interesting our final quick little tidbit here in the main portion of the show nick let's talk about game four let's talk about that uh, too many men on the ice miss call um yeah. I, I wanted to address this cause I know that some people were kind of in an uproar about this. Um, You know, how many, I mean, was the length of time lengthy? Yeah. I'll give you that. But sure. how many, how many times does this happen in a hockey game where you don't notice a it because the player doesn't get the puck right away or that sort of thing. Now the rule states, yes, that if the player, you know, if they're not within whatever it is, five feet or something five like that. Feet, yeah. yeah you know, from the bench that they're not allowed to have possession. But again, The only reason that there's a noticing effect on it is because Nazem Kadri ended up with the puck right away. And, you know, that's the only reason I know that the Lightning had seven players on the ice at one point, although barely seven players. The other piece of this is uh, the argument was that the Lightning have won a similar game against the Islanders the last postseason that won nothing game seven. That was the lone goal that was scored. You know, what happens all the time in hockey, I get the frustration from John Cooper, but you know, the other piece of this is you still got to defend and Nazem Kadri still had to pick up a puck basically almost in the neutral zone and come and pick his way through two defenders and put the puck in the back of the net and beat a world-class goaltender. So, um, Nick, y- your first reaction on this was John Cooper's, you know, reaction justified or uh, is it a routine hockey play that just got caught up uh, at, the pati-
1: at that particular moment? How about option C? That was media theater. Yeah. Now, for those who don't understand what I'm talking about, Head coaches at any professional level know that whatever they say, whatever they do, whatever is videotaped, audio taped, the players hear it. They'll lie and say, that nah, I don't, I don't watch that crap. No, they do. Yeah. So he was sticking up for his team at that point, 100%. So I don't look at it as, was it justified? I don't look at it as, was it unjustified? I look at it as he was doing what he felt he had to do as a head coach to try to essentially be the voice for the players at that point. Um, and I think it worked. Now let's yeah. actually let's actually talk about the play, right? So it's it's almost like that idiot that you argue with politics or with law that says, "Oh, but it says in Section Code Six Thirty Five that you can't do that." It's all about um, how
0: it's interpreted.
1: Well, it's, yes, but it's also like, okay, cool, you read me the number, big freaking whoop. It's yeah. how did we apply this, right? The big application for the NHL and rule change uh, on line changes is okay. If you're sort of within that five foot rule, whatever. Their biggest concern is: does it affect the play? That's the big interpretation. We've seen that in this case. Does the line change, which was happening behind the puck carrier, meaning the puck was already advanced, was that line change? Despite the seven players in the ice, did that affect Nazem Kadri getting the getting the puck? going through 2D and going on Bazowski, No, no, it did not. So yeah. I understand the hockey novices out there. Yes. I'm calling you novices and yep. Come at me, bro. I don't care. Um, if that puck is passed to a player just off the bench, they have possession. And all of a sudden that gets to Nazem Kadri, meaning that extra player is the one helping that puck to Nazem Kadri. Now we're talking an argument. This was a D to forward stretch pass with players changing behind him, this had no impact on that goal whatsoever.
0: Yeah. And I mean, Nazim Kadri was the player that came over the ice, but by the time he got, he got the pocket, he didn't mean, even know he scored. Yeah. You know, it's, <laughs> you know, and it's just, and it's one of those things that you chalk it up. One, it's a non-reviewable play. So it's a moot point Correct. anyway. And number two, you know, they just it happens so many times in the game of hockey where if that puck goes off the post no one's talking about it no one even knows about it you know correct so the
1: the referees and i I don't know if this is the right way to phrase this Nola, but because hockey is such a a game of flow right yeah i think the big concern with the rest is okay if i like you said this happens all the time there's there's slow changes there's fast changes right if they were to call every too many men on the ice call, we'd have stoppages every 30 seconds. Yeah, um, It's just the way it goes. And again, when you're a player going up in the system, you're basically like, yeah, five, six feet. If he's coming to the bench, you just go. Because yeah. again, you're trying to get involved in the play. You're not trying to give the opposing team any numbers advantages, either on the offensive zone rush, which usually that's when you're changing when you're going the offensive zone. So it's, and better than you as a kid when you're growing up to not get caught on the bench sleeping. Um, So, again, it's highlighted because it's a playoff game-winning goal. And, uh, however, again, didn't affect the play at all.
0: Yeah, I definitely agree. We'll keep an eye on it. The Stanley Cup final and a champion will be crowned. Will it be a three-time champion in the last three years, or will it be a new one for the first time since the turn of the millennium? We'll keep you up to date. As always, we're going to head on over to our Extra Ice session. We're going to talk all things Central Division. And welcome into the Extra Ice Session. Nick Maxson joining myself, Noah Grant, here for episode number 117. Our Extra Ice Session takes a deep dive into the Central Division. We'll take a look at this past season, of course, and moving into the offseason and the upcoming campaign and what it means for each of these teams in the Central Division. Um, and I have them in order here, Nick, um, from essentially least successful last season to most successful so for those who are curious in the central division how it ended up it was arizona pulling up the rear with 57 points not a great season for them um
1: yeah i that
0: yeah chicago after them winnipeg was in sixth place um and those were the only three teams to miss the postseason in the central division nashville and dallas filled out the wild card spots followed by st louis minnesota and colorado clinching the central division so nick let's start with the number eight, Arizona Coyotes, who uh, 25 wins, 50 losses, seven overtime losses for 57 points. Um, nice. I do have each of the team's cap friendlies pulled up, so uh, projected cap space is just over $33 million. Um, you know, but with that being I said,
1: the, I think the bigger question is how much you have to spend to get to the cap floor. That's really the number we get to know.
0: I say. And um, well, if you're looking for that one, we can always find that one, too. Um, but uh,
1: Actually, they have to spend $11 million to get to the cap floor. I got yeah. it for you.
0: Yeah, so um,
1: you know that's and, how much they're actually gonna spend.
0: And they have twenty-nine contracts currently signed. So that means that they do um for the upcoming season, they have three wow. RFAs on the forward side and one, two, three, four, five, six UFAs on the forward side, two RFAs on the back end as well as a UFA and one UFA in net as well. So, um, and a couple of guys on uh, injured reserve, three of them, um, to be exact. Yeah. Uh so Nick, uh this Arizona team, um they're significantly downsizing in more ways than one. Uh, uh what uh you know, what is the main focus for this coyotes club going into the offseason and heading into next season?
1: Get a freaking building to play in. Um, <laughs> yeah, I mean, well, let's look about this. Uh, three first round picks, four second round picks for Arizona. Um, the deep Buffalo Saber rebuild is on. We'll yeah. put it to you that way. And If things work out in their favor, Noah, meaning somehow this summer slash early fall, the Tempe city council approves a motion for a new arena entertainment style spot gets developed. That takes three to four years. Well, again, you talk about three first round picks, give them a couple of years to develop. And maybe we're moving into a new building with some, veterans you got some younger talent that's had some nhl experience and maybe do things right wait a second are we talking about the coyotes or we're we talking about the vancouver canucks
0: um <laughs> well so, well to, uh, be, to be fair half second. half of vancouver's team pretty much played for them and now they're um, no UFA's. but
1: so it's really for them it's I, I think their sole focus right now is just their youth honestly if you're talking about on the roster again a lot of and infusion to that. And, and as long as they don't deal with Chuck Fletcher again, they'll be fine because yeah, or maybe they do. Cause they will get another first round pick out of it. Who knows? Yeah. Um, yeah pretty crazy. Right. So um, it's such an up in the air thing, right? Because if Tempe were to call a press conference tomorrow and says, Hey, this deal is off. Are we really talking about an Arizona coyotes future in Arizona? Um, I don't know, but what's assume they're there. Um, it's the youth infusion. That's where it is. Um, don't have a. They still have nine hundred and ninety thousand in dead cap for Oliver ekman Larson and retained salary in that trade. What the heck are you doing, um, Jim Benning? But that's a different conversation. Um, yeah, this this roster is, is going to be young. It's going to be raw, raw talent. Um, Some maybe veterans added here and there, but it's it's going to be another tough season on the ice. I think.
0: You know, what's difficult is like, you know, you have a handful of names sometimes for some of the poorer teams, you know, with guys that come in that, you know, get their first crack at the NHL. I mean, you look at the Arizona Coyotes roster and it's more a game of who can you find that, you know, um, you know, Karel Vamelka is going to be the starting netminder for next season. But I mean, on the back end, I mean, you have Anton Strallman's cap hit, but Anton Strollman is, Yeah um jacob chickran and shane bear are really your only other two on the back end that you really even notice right. uh nick hey,
1: schmaltz entered the chat because uh hey how about nathan smith
0: yeah <laughs> well forward end though we're talking d first well okay, so whatever yeah so clayton keller nick schmaltz uh andrew ladd just because of name i guess uh right you know i uh, i mean Lawson Krause and then you have Alex Galchenyuk, Louis Erickson, Jay Beagle, Antoine Roussel who are all off the books and then you know Phil Kessel who's a UFA at age 34 um you know yeah this is a young roster and I don't know what the answer is but the Arizona Coyotes more youth they're not gonna. Be, they're <laughs> not going to be good they're just not, no, they're um, not.
1: and yeah. again I, I do think this is by design I do yeah um because if there's one thing that Minnesota wild fans know too well, besides the name Jack McBain, um, he's on that roster as well. Um, about that. Um, Arizona was kind of in mediocrity for a while. They weren't like super bad, even though they've never really had it. They haven't been really that successful as of late, but they really weren't ever that bad. And some of the moves they make, they would trade away high end picks or prospects. Um,
0: or, so or, really, or sign players who are horrible people.
1: Right. So yeah. um, they, they've made some some bad moves in the past. And you kind of wonder if this is setting up to be sort of that resurgence, maybe. I don't know. But yeah. yeah we'll, have have they, we'll have to see. We'll have to see. Again, it, on the surface, doesn't look great. It's
0: a breeding ground for you know guys that are looking to make a name. I like Christian Fisher's game, a good two-way forward as well. Travis Boyd has carved out a decent little career for him, himself, the former Minnesota Golden Gopher. Of course, um, Barrett Hayton uh, coming over from Florida ha- has, has made a little bit of a name for himself, but yeah. Um, not looking great for Arizona. Uh, the seventh place spot, uh, just hiring their head coach uh, in Luke Richardson. That's the Chicago Blackhawks. Um, projected cap space of just over $20 million. The question marks, of course, are to Brinkett, Taves, and Kane moving in here. They do have four RFAs on the front end, no UFAs. So Kirby Doc, uh needs a payday. Dominic Kublai. Dominic Kubalik, who has He's been gone. a nice little pickup for them. Um, Philip Karushev and Dylan Strom, who's 25 years of age. On the back end, Caleb Jones is the only RFA. And then Calvin DeHaan and Eric Gustafson are UFAs. And then both goaltenders and Kevin Lankinen and, and Colin, Colin Delia are both UFAs as well, too. So actually, when you look at this roster, not a whole lot of work. For Chicago to get done to get some guys taken care of, the question mark is the roster isn't that solid, um, and no. they're mi- they're missing uh, a couple of pieces here. So uh, new head coach coming in, uh, organization's a little bit tainted with the off ice stuff that happened last season. Uh, primary focus on the ice. Uh, are you looking to make an off season splash, or are you just trying to uh, maybe make one or two moves that gets this team pointed in the right direction here? Is it full scale rebuild, or is it just kind of uh, not uh, yet?
1: Repoint. Not yet. Not yet, because I do think Luke Richardson has some say in this, right? I do think that they're gonna try to see if there's anything he can do. I mean, let's let's be honest, this is Chicago's last gasp with yeah. that. I think so. Um, and I do think you kind of wonder where Chicago's with Alex to bring it. Uh, Dylan Strome has been rumored to be on the trade block for quite some time now, I know, Yeah, uh, <laughs> yeah. So you wonder if he Gets moved again RFA status. So if he doesn't, he goes to UFA status and he's able to uh, essentially sign with anybody. I could see Chicago almost letting him walk at this point, yeah. Um, so I, I think I see Chicago as, as the tweener team that says, Hey, let's give this one more go, let's see if Luke can squeeze some life out of this squad. Um, again, the big question mark is, Does Debrinket make it to opening day in October? Um, or does the Chicago brass have a grander plan, and DeBrinket's are going to be off the table, meaning he's going to be traded somewhere, and we're going to see uh, the depth of an early 2010 dynasty. Um, it's it's still yeah. unclear for me, uh, Noah. And again, I said from a team perspective, or I should say a management perspective, if you're going to trade DeBrinket for the best return. You do it now. It seems like things are trending that way, but you kind of wonder. If you are in the Western Conference, he goes out East just to try to protect him from biting you again. Um, but also the return. Again, the salary cap is yeah. not going up very much. So he's got to go to a team with cap space. there were got to be assets in return In Chicago. will like a pretty decent haul for this player. What teams have it? I don't know. Um, Chicago, to me, is going to be fighting with Arizona for the bottom of the Central.
0: Yeah, Connor Murphy and Jujar Kiara are both on injured reserve. Also, uh, $2.375 million in dead cap from Brett Connolly and a minor league deal buyout penalty, so um, that's tough. Uh, my question for you is this, Nick. Uh, off the top of your head, uh, 69 games played for Dylan Strome. Care to guess how many points he had?
1: Last year? Yeah. 45?
0: Forty-eight points, and I, uh, I was kind of wondering, you know, if he's a guy that uh, Chicago lets walk, and the Wild cannot get Kevin Fiala resigned. Is he a guy? If you're Minnesota, do you look at a guy like that? I mean, that's not bad production. It's know? not
1: bad, but and I think, you know, and again, here's what's funny: Dylan Strome and Alex Tabrickett were line mates with Connor McDavid in Erie in the Ooh. OHL. I know, right? Who the hell is that? Um, all of them over 100 points in that 2015 campaign. Uh, was able to actually catch them in person uh, against the Sarnia Sting in the first round of the OHL playoffs. That was a hell of a series. Uh, but sidetracked back to the Chicago Blackhawks. I don't know. And I say that because Dylan Strome to me, he's not the biggest kid. And yeah. he's a guy that I think if you want him to be productive, needs to be in a top six role. He was demoted from a toxic uh, top six role of Chicago. If that tells you anything. Yeah. Dylan,
0: um, Dylan Strom, six foot three, 200 pounds, uh, 25 years of age, left-handed. So,
1: and uh, just hasn't really developed into the player that he was looking like when he was with uh, the Erie Otters. Um, so maybe you take a stab at him if the money's right. But again, to me, he's got to be a top six player. He's not a bottom six form. If he gets in a position where he is out of the top six. He's, he's as good as dead uh, to me for the Wild. So that would be a, a riskier, I think, signing than more of a proven veteran. Um, but I don't know. Maybe maybe you do. I don't know. I'm, I'm not that fond of Dylan Strome, I'll put it yeah. that way. Of course. Still. His biggest thing is a, is a consistent play. When he's yeah. on, he's on. When he's off, he's almost a ghost
0: course, him, Dominic Kubalik, Kurashev, and Kirby Doc all RFA's. So another complicated piece on top of that as well. uh Moving on to uh, Kevin Shevill off his Winnipeg Jets with over uh, oh, just cool over that
1: guy survived.
0: Yeah, I survive. <laughs> <laughs> eighteen million dollars in projected cap space uh for these guys as we as we look forward for RFA's on the forward side. That's Mason Appleton, Pierre Luc Dubois, who's been in the media recently in kind of a yes. weird light. Um, Uh, Jansen Harkins and Evgeny Svechnikov. Adam Brooks is a UFA G6. And then Zach Sanford and Paul Stastny are both UFAs respectively. Uh, Everybody signed on defense, all six defensemen all locked up. And then Eric Comrie is a UFA G6 as well, backing up Connor Hellebuck in net. I'm trying to see. Uh, Just Cole Perfetti is on injured reserve and no dead cap for this squad here. So actually uh, a fair amount of pieces to work with. But it's been uh, – the Winnipeg Jets were kind of a team that – It's almost like they were a jigsaw puzzle that fit together, and then the schoolyard kid came in and ripped some of the pieces off and then tried to smash the puzzle back together in a different shape. And it kind of works, but it kind of doesn't. And they finished sixth as a result last year. So the question is, does Mark Shifley stay? What is the deal with Pierre-Luc Dubois recently? And uh, does Paul Stastny uh, continue
1: to play hockey? Big questions, right, for Winnipeg. Um, there's even talk of Blake Wheeler's future um, in Winnipeg. So it, there's, it's a core that really has, and we're talking the older core again with with uh, Blake Wheeler being one of them. Um, I, I think th- again, 18 million is not a lot of cap space. Yeah. And and the big thing here, Noah, and I think this is the big thing with Jets fans is how much. I mean, so imagine this. You have the second overall pick in the 2016 draft. You end up getting Patrick Lyonnais. You end up trading away with Jack Roslovic to get Pierre-Luc Dubois, who is not the same caliber of a shooter. Now, mind you, uh, Patrick Lyonnais is not a number two-looking pick right now with his performance. Imagine if Pierre-Luc Dubois, which you talked about media, sounds like he doesn't want to stay in Winnipeg. Imagine... Him leaving the Jets and that number two pick six years ago ends up literally you with nothing.
0: Yeah, Dylan Strom has entered the conversation, by the way. Right. Uh, you, you know, um, but, you know, 60 points in 81 games for Pierre-Luc Dubois, and it sounds like more so he's a year away from signing an extension. And the Steve Dangle podcast, so eloquently, of course, has always talked about this. And they talked about it's almost like he's kind of – pressuring winnipeg to kind of get their core in order and figure things out a little bit here um
1: i don't don't blame him honestly you
0: know and he's had he's got a little bounce back there up in winnipeg uh you know the the question mark here and, and again same podcast mentioning this uh, Winnipeg Jets fans kind of just riding it out a little bit here they're in a weird spot where you're kind of waiting for the old guard to kind of change over a little bit Mark Shifley two years left on his deal uh, as is Blake Wheeler Uh, the only real guys that you have signed long term Kyle Connor who had a whale of a season last year
1: yeah
0: Nikolai Ehlers and then uh, um, Adam Lowry as well as only 29 years of age and has four years remaining on his deal so other than that uh, the only defenseman that's long term is um, Josh Morrissey and then yes, Nate, Morrissey. Nate Schmidt and Neil Pionk, kind of so um, you know a lot of question marks for Winnipeg and they're just uh, you know do you expect them to make an off season splash or are they really just I looking they into have to.
1: yeah um, because Pierre Luc Dubois is wanting the same thing that Winnipeg Jets fans want they want some look of what the future is going to look like and it has been very unclear they've been kind of stuck in this you know older core with Wheeler and then you have these young up and comers with you know Kyle Connor. Uh, Josh Morrissey. So it's like, what is this team? Right. There's really no identity. And I think Pierre-Luc Dubois, he is pressuring that management to give him an idea because if they don't, I think he walks. I think he doesn't want to stay in a mediocre squad. He was with that in Columbus, right? I think he wants to play for a playoff contending team. And let's be honest, Columbus and Winnipeg have a lot of similarities in terms of their roster buildup and, you know their ability to contend for a playoff spot, so I think he's trying to avoid that. And there's a little bit of a shot across the bow, you could say, with Pierre-Luc Dubois. So I think it's a smart move by him. And I think this will decide, you know, if there are is a big splash or two for Winnipeg, whether or not he considers signing an extension with the club or retest the free agent market.
0: Yeah, should be interesting. Uh, we are going to put these teams one through eight for our predictions for next season. Coming in at number five last year, the final playoff spot getting bounced in four games handily by the Colorado Avalanche. That was the National Predators. Uh Currently sitting with $21.5 million in cap space. They did finish. Uh, for those who are wondering, uh, like I said, Arizona 57 points, Chicago 68 with 28 wins on the season, 89 points for the Jets at 39 wins. And then it really gets serious at 97 points, Nashville 45, 30, and 7 for a 591 winning percentage. Um, on the forward side, uh, three RFAs, Luke Condon, former Minnesota Wild draft pick and player, Matt Luff and Yakov Trennan. Uh, and then the two UFAs, Nick Cousins, and the big one on the forward side, Philip Forsberg at 27 years of age. And then two UFAs in the back end, uh, kind of depth defenseman Matthew Benning and Ben Harper. And then uh, third string goals hitter David Riddick is a UFA in that. Um, and the dead cap history for um yeah, one, two, three, four, at least six years remaining. Kyle Turris, $2 million yeah. per season uh, for that Nashville.
1: So um, bad.
0: You know, a couple of pieces here. We're starting to get into the territory where there is something to work with with this squad. Philip Forsberg is priority number one, obviously, as I think Luke Cunningham is priority number two on this squad. But uh, is Nashville uh, and the David Poyle uh, workings, are they looking to make that one big splash they seem to make every offseason, or do they got to look a little bit more internally
1: this year? It's a great question um, because, I mean, they weren't just outplayed. They got spanked yeah. by Colorado. And you kind of wonder what David Poyle has been there for, it seems like a few centuries with the Nashville Predators, yeah. um, how much that sweep is going to prompt him to make changes. Now, again, you, you want to get Philip Forsberg? Like it, it was just under $22 million in cap space. He will command a large chunk of that, if not almost half of it. Um, if, if it's market value, eight to $9 million a season. Um, yeah. so I think if you're Nashville and you're looking at the, you know, this roster, right. And more so, um, some of the long-term deals so you still have Matt Duchesne for another four years, Ryan Johansson for another three, um, Mika Grandlin another three years, Ellie Toilben for another four. But beyond that, there's not a whole lot of long-term contracts here. You no know? one I think the big question is, does David Poyle is, would it be like, okay, there's enough pieces here where if I add a few, maybe we spark another run. I could see that. I'm not sure if he needs a big splash. Um, but, again, it's going to a lot depend on what he's got left over after they get Philip Forsberg done. That's priority number one. Um, also, please give Connor Ingram some help. My God. And, and for, UC, <laughs> yeah. for UC Saros, I mean, geez, just tough timing for that natural squad. I still don't think that changes the outcome in terms of them getting swept because they were just – Blown away by the speed of the avalanche. Um, so you kind of have to wonder. I, I do think there's another splash or two that Nashville can make to make themselves kind of retool on the fly. Um, but again, the other central teams that we haven't discussed yet are sitting still in a much better spot, skill wise and contract wise. Where that's still going to be a tough task, task to ask. So you kind of wonder if David Boyle will go for the nuclear bomb, or does he go for the microwave dinner to see if he can't turn something out of nothing? Yeah. The start
0: of uh, this season, a question mark for you for those who are wondering for David Poyle. um, This upcoming season will mark how many years with the Nashville Predators? Any idea? 27. 25. Uh,
1: It was 97. That's right. Yeah. Fall
0: of 1997, he was named uh, um, part of the Nashville Predators uh, VP of hockey operations. Uh, Before that, he was with the Washington Capitals since, get this, 1982. Before that doesn't
1: go away, does
0: he before that he was with Calgary and Atlanta since 1977 in an assistant general manager role. So he's definitely, he's been around a while here. Yeah. The Preds are, are a curious case here. You know, they obviously have Roman Yossi who has been really good. Matthias Eckholm is a good, uh, yeah. you, know, you know, second along with that. Mark Borviatsky continues to eat pucks like nobody's business. Um,
1: yeah, more you ways know, than one
0: yeah you know jeremy Lawson was just re-signed for four seasons here so there are a lot of pieces they kind of remind me uh dare i say of the minnesota wild uh pre kevin fiala A little bit, you know, where they had a couple pieces, they had that core and it just seems that the core seems to never go away, but they never seem to really get over the hump either. Nashville ever since that cup final in 2017 has kind of been the middleman where they're not totally crappy enough to get a good draft pick, but they're not good enough to advance past the first round. So, um, We'll have to see how they can kind of advance forward here, but uh, a lot of good pieces. Mikhail Grandlin, actually, like we mentioned, Matt Duchesne and Ryan Johansson had pretty decent seasons. I was very curious, uh, Mikhail Grandlin. Why don't we talk about the former Minnesota Wild forward? Let's see how many points. Uh, 80 games played for him this season. Uh, any guesses as to how many points he had? 61 points. 64. Uh, you're doing pretty good on the guesses today. Uh, only 11 goals in the season, 53 assists for Mikhail yeah. Grandlin. I mean, he's he an always this machine. Yeah, always has been a playmaker, but yeah, some pretty low goal totals. His uh, best goal total season came in the 2016-17 season with a 21 goal season, follow or excuse me, 26 goal season, followed by a 21 goal season. He has not eclipsed 20 markers since uh, in an NHL season. So, uh, Nashville Predators, number five uh, last year, moving into the second half or the top half of the Central Division. Um, and I say that lightly because this team was not much better than Nashville, the Dallas Stars, uh, with 19.5. Uh million dollars in projected cap space uh they finished last season one point ahead of Nashville. 46 wins 30 losses and six overtime finishes for them uh on the forward side two rfas uh, a big one uh some guy named jason robertson um yeah had a decent season uh marianne student Nietzsche is the other rfa uh vladislav nemestikov alex radulov and michael raffle are the three ufas and then on the back end john klingberg the big ufa as well as andre Sekera. And Jake Ottinger is an RFA for this upcoming season. And Scott Wedgwood and Braden Holpe are both UFAs. Um, and then a buried penalty of $2.2 million for Anton Q Dobbin for this final season uh, coming up this year. So, Nick, uh, we've talked about it so much. The uh, Tyler Stegg and Jamie Benn contracts have not lived up to expectations. It has been alleviated by Joe Pavelski, who signed at $5.5 million for next season and pretty much paced the team besides uh, Jason Robertson. Um, a couple of guys that, you know, have been productive, but, uh, you know, how do they solve their scoring woes and how do they stop being so leaky defensively?
1: And do they hang on to John Klingberg on top of that? That is the big question is John Klingberg. Is it not? Um, I think you need him if you're Dallas. I think you need it still that vaunted, very good foot moving defensive core that I think helps drive the offense. If, if, if I'm looking at it correctly, maybe I'm not, um, this is a curious case because um, you got $18, 19.35 million in Sagan and Ben. It's a lot of money.
0: Yeah.
1: Um, you got somehow with Joel Pavelski, which even at 37, 38 years old, continues to perform like he's 22. He's just insane. Um, Seriously. Hall of, he's a Hall of Famer, no question about it. Yep. Um, we'll love whether it's with Dallas, somebody's going love to see him get a shot at the cop again. Uh, I think Joel Pavelski is that type of player that deserves a cup run. Um, but yeah, I don't know. Uh, Jason Robertson would have to be in my book, the big off season signing. Yeah. Um, very, would, very good. It would be foolish to let him go. And he's an RFA. So, right. There's yeah. plenty of cap space to work with. Now, again, this team is almost like Edmonton. And it's like, even if it's a year ago, because they're top heavy. Yeah. Problem is their versions of Connor McDavid, and Leon Dreisaitl or well not McDavid and Dreisaitl and whether they're not even putting up any sort of offensive numbers, what was it 2.1 goals per game for Dallas last season? Just not good at all. Um, their depth behind those two players are not great. Yeah. So there's not, you talk about a team that could make some big changes. Um, you kind of wonder what Pete DeBoer would be looking for. Um, of course, he said all the right things in the media. Oh, I'm excited to be here and good pieces. Well, no kidding, chief. That's you're not going to say no when he took that coaching job. But sure, yeah. um, there's potential there. But again, we've been we've been waiting to see this unlocked since when Lindy Ruff was behind the bench. Um, so I don't know. They need a coach that will put it together. I mean, if you if you look at Pete DeBoer when he took over the Golden Knights job, the Golden Knights under Gerard Gallant was all offense, all on attack defense was a bit leaky. He was supposed to come in and kind of hamper that. And I think he did uh, to a degree. And then Pete DeBoer just is kind of like cottage cheese. You leave it in the the refrigerator too long and it just gets sour. So, I don't know. Um, I I don't know how to look at the Dallas squad. I just, I could see them being right where they're at right now at four. I could see them dropped even as far as say six. Yeah. Um, You kind of wonder if The Dallas organization looks at Pete DeBoer with a history of instant, you know, bringing a team up if this is their last gasp to do it. And if not, do they just, you know, hit the, the bomb button? I don't know. What do you think
0: yeah, it's weird? Cause you, you look at this roster and you look at some of the players and you're like, man, they really underachieved. And then you look at the roster again and you're like, man, they really overachieved. Like it's, it's, right. it's, it's, it's this weird mix where you're like, some of these guys are like, yeah, they were as advertised or better. And then other guys, you're like, what the hell happened to them? And, um, yeah, really weird spot. I think having Brayden Holt be healthy, even in a backup role, would be a big piece. Scott Wedgwood has been a serviceable backup for a long time in the NHL, but Braden Holtby was actually pretty all right for this Dallas squad. Of course, the, the coming of Jake Ottinger, we'll have to see if, yes. you know, the true sophomore campaign, so to speak. I know he's been around longer than that, but, you know, if he truly is the starter, if he really can carry the mail um, in, a, in a full NHL season, as a true starter, so to speak, um, can Correct. definitely help having that veteran experience um, back there as well, too. So the Dallas Stars, a question mark, uh, finishing in fourth place in that first wild card spot last season. Uh, moving into the three divisional finishers, um, everyone's favorite, the St. Louis Blues. <clears throat> uh, $9 million in projected cap space. I wish it was negative nine. It's fine. Yeah, uh, yeah. Uh, two UFAs, Tyler Bozak, David Perron, the Wilds the killer. Won. Uh, and then uh, two um, RFA's, um, Nico Mikula and Scott Perunovic are both RFA's, and Nick Letty is a UFA, and then Ville Huso is a UFA on the back end. Nine million dollars in cap space. Somebody's definitely got to go here. Um, Nick Letty's. Can, Letty,
1: can uh, it be Perron uh, to the Wild? Let me
0: honest. Yeah, yeah. Or uh, or if the Wild can't retain uh, um, one of their goaltenders, uh, but or if they can't retain Flurry, how about Ville Huso? Um, wouldn't happen. But, uh, I know, but yeah. Be nice. Nick Letty is only 31. Of course, Scott Prunovic and Mikula, um, 23 and 26, respectively. Uh, Tyler Bozak, I think, is probably gone. Um, in fact, I, I I failed to know how many points Tyler Bozak had. I did feel it's like he
1: wasn't he injured a lot this last yeah, season? Yeah, he
0: had 12 points in 50 games. So I got to imagine he's yeah. probably on the way out the door. Um, So, yeah, I'd say David Perron and Nick Letty, if they could keep them both. I, I feel like, I mean, you got $9 million in cap space. So David Perron, David Perron or Nick Letty, one of them or both of them would have to take a team-friendly deal because I think they want to retain Billy Husso. I really think they do. But they've I made do. this decision before, $6 million, shelled out to Jordan Binnington. Yes. Uh you know, are they going to make the same mistake again? Uh, is Billy Huso the guy that is the future? Uh, I mean, what do the Blues do here to kind of stay par
1: at the top three in the central? I think if you had a choice between Nick Letty and David Perron, I think still you take Nick Letty. There was a big reason why they went after him in the trade deadline. And he really secured that back end for them. Um, I think he's a good depth piece for them, uh, for a team that does play a defensive identity type hockey. Um which also means Vili huso as well, right? I think that one-two punch, again, Jordan Bennington has proven since his cup run that he can be really good. He can also be quite Swiss cheese-like. Um, you kind of yeah. wonder with Vili huso if that first real starter sort of playoff woes got to him a little bit, and he gets in the crack, I think he'd be fine. So I think you keep huso around as well, which means David Perron is sort of um, – the guy who's taking the team-friendly discount. I think David Perron likes it in St. Louis. He's had two stints there. Uh, but you kind of wonder two at the uh, end of his career. I mean, St. Louis is a is a consistent playoff contender now, but does he want to go for a deeper run? Does he want more money? Um, where does he want to go? I think what Perron's what, 33, 34?
0: 34 years of age. 34, and, yeah. And it's interesting, you know, you look at the core, especially the forward core. Defensively, they're doing pretty well for the next couple of years. Um, all things considered, uh, once they figure out the three that they've got, everybody else is locked up for the next two seasons. And the forward side, really, everybody is locked up for next season. Uh, the only three that are locked up beyond next season: Braden Shen, Pavel navish and Brandon Saad. Nick, uh, how about the UFA and RFA class, uh, for next year? Um, for the Blues. Yeah. Let's go with this. Uh Ryan O'Reilly, Vladimir Tarasenko, Jordan Kyrou, Robert Thomas, Ivan Barbashev, Nathan Walker, Logan Brown, and Alexei Uh Yeah, that's going to be some money that's going to be in
1: interesting locations. Um, and how about Vladimir Tarasenko, right, going from a guy who requested a trade and up being a big part of their playoff push and their playoff success this last season. Yeah. You kind of wonder, too, if his name is not dangled a bit, maybe for a trade. Um, again, that's a large class, and uh, you kind of wonder, okay, well, another season bias. Does the NHL pour in some more revenue? Does that increase the salary cap, and therefore where well, it's not as big of a deal anymore? I don't know. The St. Louis Blues are, are turning towards a, a brick wall, per se, in terms of you know what this roster could look like. Um, so this is the, they're. They'll be back next year. They'll be back as a top three contender, in my opinion. Question um, yeah. Question's going to be, um, what happens after next year? You know, do, was this all part of the, uh, the proverbial plan, per se? Or is this just kind of smoke and mirrors? And, you know, again, we'll be looking back at this in a couple years and going, what the heck were we so afraid of? I don't know. But St. Louis is still very successful under Craig Berube, and they will continue to be the biggest thorn in the sides of Minnesota hockey fans, as I'm sure that is our next topic.
0: Yeah, 109 points, 49 wins for them, 22 losses, 11 overtime losses for the Blues. Uh, Sitting at number two on this list, uh, 53 wins, 22 losses, seven overtime finishes, a 689 winning percentage, plus 57 goal differential. uh, 113 points, 31, 8 and 2 at home, 22, 14 and 5 on the road, and 5 and 4 in shootout attempts. It's a Minnesota Wild. Uh, They are. are, They are franchise. Yeah, they are currently sitting at 6.59 in projected camp space. Let's run you through it here. Of course, huh? Connor Dewar did just get a two-year deal at 800000 per year. Um Good deal. Did you know, Nick, uh, Kevin Fiala is an RFA. Um,
1: That's, I, I did not know that.
0: Yeah, Nick Bukestad and Nick DeLore are the only remaining UFAs on the back end. Jacob Middleton is an RFA. Jordy Ben, he's gone. He's a UFA. Uh, And then Marc-Andre Fleury is the only other UFA. The Minnesota Wild have $12.74 million in dead cap, which will become $14.7 million the two seasons following, and then $1.67 million for three seasons after that, um, which is kind of an issue. Uh, after Just next after yeah after next season it's Tyson Jost and Matt Boldy and Brandon Duhame, who are RFA's Freddie Goudreau, Matt Dumba, Dmitry Kulikov who are UFA's and then Kyle Addison's also an RFA that following season as well too. You know, it's interesting. Uh, you look at the Kevin Fiala situation. Somebody would definitely have to be have to be moved to make room at least for this year. Then next year, Matt Dumba and Dmitry Kulikov are both off the books. Um, but then you have Kaelin Addison and Matt Boldy who need to be resigned in question marks with Tyson Jost. Uh, a lot of issues trying to keep number twenty two in a Minnesota Wild sweater here, notwithstanding. So Nick, obviously, I want you to comment on that. But beyond that, the wild have a, week. Yeah, yeah. The wild have a first two seconds, a third, fourth, fifth, sixth, and no seventh this year. But besides Kevin Fiala, if, uh, re- regardless of him, what did the Minnesota wild need to do this off season in general? I mean, I know it's, it's, it's extremely tied to him and Mark Andre Fleury, but what else, you
1: know? So I think down the middle is an issue. Um, you kind of wonder if Marco Rossi um, is going to get a, another crack at the can per se. Um, you wonder what the future is like for Kalen Addison too. Also on the back end, I'm not as certain that Dmitri Kulikov is going to be on this roster when yeah. he gets October either. I know that uh, despite what we were looking at as being a pretty good third pairing, which of him and John Merrill, was to say derailed pretty badly towards the end of the season. Um, so there's some, there's some different tweaks you can do here. Uh, but again, when you've got uh, almost $13 million in not available cap space because of some buyouts, uh, some other guys, don't <laughs> mention their names, um, it, do, it does hamper things. And there's again, do you make these moves to retain one player for a year? Or do you yeah. just say, hey, let's get some assets? Could we get some maybe veteran help? Do we get maybe some younger help? Um, Sam Hentges, clearly. Clearly. Um, (laughs) Clearly not. Anyway, um, at least as of right now, who knows I could be getting – Pointed to
0: yeah, in six months. speaking of that, if I would be remiss, sorry to interrupt you, but the non roster oh, r- roster hopefuls, of course, Marco Rossi, Adam Beckman are probably the two forward names that come to mind there. And then Kyle Rau has always been serviceable. But really, uh, I wanted to mention Pavel Novak, by the way, I don't know if anybody got a yeah. chance to notice Yikes. this. Um, He did say on on Twitter, hello everyone, I was wondering how to release this information and share my feelings, talking about how difficult it was. He said, unfortunately, my health condition does not allow me to prepare for next season. I was diagnosed with an oncological, for those who don't know what oncological, it means cancer, um, or cancerous uh, disease a few days ago and will soon begin treatment. The coming months will not be easy for me, but I firmly believe that everything will turn out well. I will be back stronger. Please respect my privacy. So wishing Pavel Novak. The best. Uh he's in Kelowna with the Rockets. Um, so wishing him the best as he moves forward and hopefully we see him one day in a wild sweater. But uh Nick continuing on, uh yeah. you know, I mean, is you know, we talked about Marc Andre Fleury, Jacob Middleton, Kevin Fiala. I gotta imagine one of those guys will stay at some point. Bill Guerin will try to make one of them happen. Sounds like Kevin Fiala is the long shot. Uh between Fleury yeah, and Jacob Middleton. Long shot. Yeah, between uh um, Fleury and Middleton, who who do you want to keep here? Middleton.
1: Yeah, I agree. Um, Middleton, to me, really helped to balance out that top four on the defensive end for Minnesota, which, yeah, it just it needed it after the Ryan Suter debacle. Again, um, no phone calls answered, I guess. New phone, who dis? Yeah. Um, about that. But, no, I, it, what it can do is, and to me, for flurry, would I like him back? Sure. Do I think we need him? Not necessarily if there's maybe one part you could do away with. I think Cam Talbot, there's been enough conversation about how the Wild handled that. I've had my own opinions on that as well. Um, I have nothing against Mark Hernandez-Flurry, but again, you're talking a tight cap situation. So yeah. one's got to go.
0: Zane McIntyre, who's 29, um, Derek Barbio, who's 23, Hunter Jones is 21, and Jesper Wolfstadt, newly signed at age 19. So, and
1: yes, for Wallstead, who is going to be the goalie of the future. And you don't get picked as a goalie in the first round. If we don't look pretty good And from everything that we've heard. In fact, I think it was the hockey news put him as like the 19th best prospect um, in the entire NHL's uh, channel. Marco Rossi made it as the top in the top 10, I think was seven or eight. So
0: yeah,
1: uh, it looks good two years, three years from now, <laughs> yeah. uh, but it's going to be tough uh, again. I've said it last week. There's zero chance that Kevin Fiala is in a wild sweater next season. Um, but again, with a prized asset, maybe you can turn one into a few and plug some different holes with some unfortunately cheaper options. And you just kind of hope that you can strike some gold with that. Um, that's where the wild are at. There is not a ton of changes, which is good. Um, mm. The bad news is the chain, you know, you're at a point in the franchise where you're building something and then you decide to put your own brick wall in front of you. That's the, the crappy part. So yeah.
0: Young guy, there. young guys are going to have to step up. I still think the move was the right one by Bill Guerin, but yeah, you just, you, you have one or two years that just the math just doesn't work out for, work out for a player or two, unfortunately. And right now that's Kevin Fiala. So uh, moving to our last team very quickly, uh, $25.69 million in protected cap space. Uh finishing the season i uh, doing pretty darn well if i do say so myself i uh, plus 78 goal differential um, 119 points, 56 wins, 19 losses, seven overtime losses. That's the Colorado Avalanche who are currently getting ready for game six of the Stanley Cup final. Uh, they are going to lose somebody. Uh, they have, uh, six UFAs, two RFAs on the forward side and three UFAs on the defensive side and one UFA and Darcy Kemper in goal. So, um, they are going to lose somebody. Uh, we've kind of talked about this a little bit. I don't think Nazem Kadri is back. Um, No. Nope you know, in a in a sweater. How about Nico Sturm? What an opportunity he's got coming up here in the next couple of days. Uh wishing him the best right. of luck. Jack Johnson, Josh Manson, Ryan Murray on the back end um are the UFAs. Nico Sturm, Nachuskin, Kadri Darren Helm, Cogliano, Andre burakovsky are the UFAs in the front. And Arturi Lekanin. It's hard to see him uh staying, although he is an RFA, so don't know what they're gonna do about that. And I Nicholas see staying. Yeah, and Nicholas Abe Kubel, who's been an RFA and a healthy scratch um, in the Stanley Cup final off and on here. He's the other RFA as well, too. I I think it's safe to say Colorado's in win-now mode, and it's working out. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, next season, I, I mean, any quick quick talking points here? I mean, not much to yeah. say about Colorado, you know? it's
1: So, and again, with Colorado, and Wild fans don't know what this is like, so bear with us, um, mm. when you win a cup – I don't think as a management, you care so much about the roster entirety. That's sort of your ticket and admission to hoist the Stanley cup. As you understand that you're going to lose some quality players and whether Colorado wins or loses the cup, there are going to be pieces that are not going to stick around. Um, Ironically, there's two pieces. One that is due for one now, and there's one that's not due for one for another year that are going to be their offseason priorities. Now one is Darcy Kemper. Um, he will be, I think, one of their biggest, but also you gotta make Nathan McKinnon happy. He took yeah. a team friendly bridge contract at six point three million. He will not be taking that same team-friendly contract extension. And so when you pair that with some expensive guys, the defense like Hale McCarr making nine million bucks, uh, Sam Girard at five million bucks, till twenty-six twenty-seven. Still so have one more year with Eric Johnson at six, uh, Devontae's at four point one, um, Curtis McDermott nine eighty seven. So you you have some decisions here uh miko making 9.2 Landis 7 million for quite some time um so this this roster is going to get expensive and quick and so at the end of it nazim kadri again we talk about how well he played he's going to find greener pastures uh quite literally in the bank account as well as on the other side of colorado somewhere um right. we'll see um it's all worth it. If you're Avalanche fans, if you hoist the Stanley cup, either tomorrow night in Tampa or on Tuesday night in Denver, um, doesn't look so good. If you are not able to do so and, tough decisions and roster changes are made and there could be quite a few of those coming up this postseason.
0: Certainly a great run nonetheless and still uh, even if they do lose a couple pieces they are uh, somewhat loaded for bear all things considered it's been pretty impressive. Tampa Bay is going to be in the same boat as well and that's what it takes to be in a win now mode so uh, let's see who's going to be the winner here Nick. I have my eight teams in order from uh, one to eight written down here. Central Division next season uh, why don't we start with number eight Um, I do have the Arizona Coyotes in that slot uh, kind of curious uh who do you Same. have there all right figure that was a pretty consensus one uh number seven uh i have the chicago blackhawks once again i think they sure. think they are in a decent spot but i think they're moving in a different direction number six uh, i have the dallas stars actually i'm um, with you i i really feel like this group—they have a couple of pieces. Joe Pavelsi is going to have to continue to produce. But if Tyler Sagan and Jamie Benn don't figure it out, if they can't resign John Klingberg, or if the goaltending for whatever reason is subpar, they're—they're they're one injury or one piece not producing away from having a poor season and missing the playoffs in a in a very honorable fashion. So, um, I do have the Dallas Stars at number six. Number five, uh, I have the Winnipeg Jets. I think yep. they make some improvements, but I don't think that they—I uh, don't think that they get over the hump, I wouldn't be shocked if they're in the fifth spot and they still miss the playoffs or just barely sneak in in that second wild card, you know, so um, that's what I have. Number four, I have the National Predators. I I actually like the Preds. I, I really do. I do think they have a lot of pieces to really work with. Um, they're going to, they're going to have to get Philip Forsberg re-signed, but uh, Connor Ingram can continue to be healthy and UC Saros continues to play in form. I think there's a lot of pieces now do Shane and Johansson have to continue to produce like they did this season. Um, and a couple other pieces have to continue to to have good years, but uh, I, I have high hopes for Nashville. I think they're going to rebound and uh, John Hines is really uh, putting essentially his career on the line. I think in year number one, trying to make a, make a run there uh, for the predators. Uh, Number
1: three, I have the Minnesota Wild. I think there's no way you're thinking in my head because then it's two St. Louis, one Colorado. Correct. Um, You know, and we're supposed to fight on this part of the podcast. What is this? Yeah,
0: you know, the reason I have Minnesota at three, and I'm not, I'm not that high on St. Louis next year. To be honest with you, I just think not
1: that we're high on St. Louis. Just the fact how do you replace Fiala's production?
0: It's just there's too many question marks for Minnesota. Marco Rossi could come in and be extremely effective. You know, we could, Kalen Addison could get here. his first real crack at the lineup. Cause they might move some guys and they're going to look really good. Jacob Middleton could come back and Mark Andre Fleury could be back. They both could be back, you know Um right. you know, so it, Minnesota is uh, a wild card spot where they could really finish anywhere from, I would say second to fourth maybe, but I still think they are going to be a playoff team this season. And St. Louis is going to kind of pick up the pieces in there as well. Uh, and Colorado, <laughs> they're still going to be good.
1: <laughs> right.
0: still, still going to be good. Still going to be good. So Nick, with that being said, a little bit of a lengthier show, but uh, yeah, I think that will do it for number uh, episode 117. As we just passed the midnight hour, it is now Sunday. For those who are wondering, Stanley Cup final game six tonight on Sunday, seven o'clock central time uh, game seven, if needed in Colorado, Tuesday, seven o'clock is puck drop for that one. Our show will be recorded Thursday night should come out sometime, probably on Friday. And uh, yeah, yeah, We'll keep you tuned for everything, Nick. Anything else to add on the show? I want to go to sleep. I want to go to sleep too. Um, and hopefully, um, we are talking about uh, a winner from the West uh, for uh, a Stanley Cup champion. That's all I have to say about that. For Nick Maxon, I'm Noah Grant, and we will see you soon in the <laughs> den. One timer coming, they score.
1: It fires and she scores. Dana Rasmussen for no. the Huskies. Dwayne Kaprizov, in for a chance to win it. He scores. Kirill, the thrill is for real. Welcome to the NHL. A game winner. St. Cloud Cathedral is now 42.6 seconds away from wrapping up the school's first ever title.